big media believes you should be told what to think. We disagree. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. Well, nuclear energy is back into the discussion over what's going to power your house and power the business district in town. Should we be excited about that or should we be scared about that? Well, here's what's happening is there are some discussions happening in the United States Senate. It's not on the headlines yet, but it's headed there and it does affect you. So what does it mean to you? I'm joined now by Charles Hernick from Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions. Charles, thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for your time, Mike. I appreciate being on the show. Okay, so a lot of times policy wonks and political nerds, they track what's happening in committees and subcommittees and things like that. And this one is in the U.S. Senate, but it's not about political wonkiness. We're, we're talking about potentially some big changes in how energy is researched and used in the country, right? We are, Mike, and I think that that's what's really exciting about it. We're seeing Republican leadership uh, in clean energy specifically focused on nuclear, as you mentioned. And I think it's important because, you know, the common uh, common criticism is that not a lot gets done in Washington, but at least on the future of research and development and implementation for nuclear and that next generation of clean energy, you're seeing good movement and bipartisan support. When it comes to nuclear energy, the biggest worry is safety. Is nuclear energy, ener- yeah, is, is nuclear energy safe because we have obviously had major tragedies with it? We, we have had major tragedies and I think that's not something to underplay. But what's important to remember is the track record of success here in the United States. And really, for the past 30, 40 years, nuclear power has been delightfully boring. Most people don't really think about it, don't know about it. Uh, They don't understand that it actually produces 20 percent, 22 percent of U.S. power and 60 percent of our zero emissions power supply. So it's really a big deal, and I think it's it's probably a good thing that the biggest concerns that come from nuclear are the occasional headline about something that happened in a different country, or what you see on The Simpsons, like Homer Simpson messing around <laughs> the nuclear power plant, or if you watch that HBO show Chernobyl, uh, it's it's not a pretty picture, but that was uh, in the in the past and in Russia and and under a very different governance and safety system that we have here, and so that's where I think that people should. Uh, rest well and and comfortable with the fact that nuclear power has been a safe provider of clean energy for decades. Essentially, what's being debated, this isn't about implementation, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, this has more to do with research and advancing the technologies. Am I correct on that? That's correct. And there are a number of different bills that have moved through committee, and we don't need to get into the details of them. But what is important is that folks on Capitol Hill, specifically in the Senate and under the leadership of Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, we're seeing movement on an all-of-the-above approach to clean energy. And I think that that's an important item for folks to remember, is that if we look 10, 15 years from now in terms of how the American power supply evolves, and we know that we want it to be cleaner. Everybody wants cleaner air, cleaner water. Folks are concerned about greenhouse gas emissions. That's fine. I think that when we look back 10, 15 years from now, we'll know that we achieved a cleaner energy economy because we put more options on the table, not fewer options on the table. And that's what you're seeing here. You're looking at a new investment in nuclear power, something that's smaller, something that's more safe and modular. Uh, With hydropower, you're looking at creating options and using existing infrastructure in a way that hasn't been possible before and creating options to export liquefied natural gas in small quantities 
And that's a really big deal for our friends and allies abroad that would rather buy U.S. natural gas than from not-so-friendly folks in Russia and the Middle East. And I think that that's an important thing, not just for Americans and the businesses that are working here, but also for our friends and allies abroad. Uh, Very quickly, Charles, um, carbon capture and the research around that, exactly what is that? And then I want to ask you about some of these other options. Well, I think that everybody has seen a power plant. You drive down the highway or, you know, if you're, uh, you know, cruising across the lake, you can see something in, a dis- in the distance. You see the smokestack pointed up and you see some emissions, light gray color, whatever it is, you know, billowing into the sky. Sometimes it's, if it's a nuclear power plant, that's just water, actually. But what you're doing with carbon capture storage is you're taking that smokestack and you're essentially flipping it upside down. It's obviously not that simple. You need to compress it. You need to clean the carbon dioxide and purify it, but it creates the opportunity to take what was a waste product as carbon dioxide and utilize it for something um, that does have a benefit. And and it either has a climate benefit if you're just injecting it underground and keeping it there. But a lot of folks are utilizing that carbon dioxide for a number of other purposes um, and including enhanced oil recovery so that you can inject that carbon dioxide underground, get oil on the on the back end. And if you can imagine someday in the future when you're filling up at the pump and you're able to buy gasoline that has had the carbon dioxide, it's essentially net neutral carbon because that carbon dioxide has been pushed underground somewhere else further upstream. It's a pretty powerful way to look at how carbon could shift in our economy. Well, let me follow up with that because the big question on this, because we're going to hear from activists on on each side of the issue, and it's uh, hopefully not too partisan, but eventually it's going to become partisan. Uh, but what does this mean to all of us, whether it's us here in the Midwest where I am or people you know, on the coast, when it comes to putting all these options on the table, as, table, as you said, what does this mean for each of us who just want to go to work and go back home to our families each day? When you're creating more options and when you're utilizing all of the assets that we have to pursue clean energy, reduce emissions, improve local air quality, improve local water quality, when you have more options, there's more competition and prices will be lower. So for your average Joe who's just concerned with filling up his or her uh, tank, getting to work, picking up the kids, that's totally fine and understandable. Not everybody needs to be concerned about where their energy is, is coming from. But what it means is that if regulators and the government at the federal level and at the state level are encouraging more options, we're going to see more competition and we're going to see lower prices overall. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal for American consumers, because what we do want to see in this energy transition is a growth in American wealth and an ability for us to develop these new technologies, focus on this innovation and sell these products abroad, consume them here, but also find export markets internationally because there's surging demand around the world for clean energy. So we want to be able to create those jobs. and At the same time, we want to keep electricity prices low so that at the end of the day, people can spend less money on energy and more money on the things that um, they otherwise prioritize. Okay, uh, we're visiting with Charles Hernick from the Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions uh, group in Washington. And right now, we've got about a minute left, Charles. Uh, right now, we talk about uh, renewable energy, uh, state governments, 
federal government, they seem focused on solar and they seem focused on wind and to the tune of subsidizing these particular ones. Now, I know that solar energy is very expensive to make those panels. I still think someday it'll be efficient. But is there a a problem or is it a good thing that we're subsidizing and encouraging solar and wind versus others at the moment is is having some encouragement better than none or should the government just get more hands off and allow the research to happen yeah so what you're actually seeing right now is a tipping point where even without subsidies solar and wind have reached that point where they're very competitive and in some cases cheaper than other types of energy, whether it be natural gas, um, it's always cheaper than coal at this point in time, and sometimes cheaper than nuclear power and hydropower. You do see subsidies for solar and wind because it's what people want, but we're really at the point where we're gonna be able to eliminate subsidies for solar and wind, but we also wanna look at assuring that there's a level playing field. If there are still subsidies for fossil fuel production, it's probably time to look at those two. There's no reason for Uncle Sam to be subsidizing mature industries. And what we've reached is a tipping point for solar and wind where they no longer need as much help. All right, Charles, if people want to keep up with Ural's tracking of the issues and and Ural's research, what's the best way to do it? You can check us out online. Of course, follow us on Twitter. Uh, Look for citizens4.com. Or if you just search Citizens for Responsible Energy Solutions, you'll come up with plenty of our information. All right, Charles, thank you so much for the uh, time and for the insight. Yeah, thanks for your interest, Mike. All right, so you've heard from Charles, and the important of you, though, is what do you think? Be sure to check us out on Facebook, because uh, not only are you going to get previews of what's coming up on, on programs each weekend, but you also get your chance to make your voice heard. So next time you're on Facebook, just look up American Viewpoints and get involved in the conversation. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We'll talk to you again next week. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to start foraging wild berries. I was skeptical, but these are actually pretty good. You don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.